0: The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, gestures, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, in a bit of denial that we are already about one-sixth of the way through 2023. How on earth did that happen? Speaking of Earth, I know that was a really bad connection, but I'm doing my best here, listeners. Um, you are really going to enjoy today's guest. Chris Needle is a co-founder of the Open Air Collective, a carbon removal network that is global and 100% volunteer-led, with the goal of accelerating carbon removal advancements through their member-initiated missions. So we're going to talk about all things carbon removal, which, let's be honest, we have to figure out something innovative to do with all that carbon in the atmosphere. And that conversation is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. As promised, I'm here in conversation with uh, Chris Nidal. He is going to talk to us about some amazing prospects for removing carbon from the atmosphere. Chris, I'm turning it over to you. What is CDR?
2: Thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute pleasure, Chelsea. Um, so CDR stands for Carbon Dioxide Removal. And so these are activities uh, that take carbon that's already in the air out of the air. Um, So sometimes it's sort of thrown into the same bucket with things like carbon capture and sequestration, Mm -hmm. which there's some overlap there on the sequestration part for certain forms of CDR. But generally speaking, these are very different things and we have different rationales uh, for pursuing both of them, uh, where carbon capture and sequestration is more of a, um, it's an avoided emissions. It's preventing emissions from going up in the air. And just on terminology, you'll often hear other terms that are sometimes used synonymously with CDR, carbon removals just by itself, greenhouse gas removals, or GGR. That's just a more inclusive term because we know there are other forms of greenhouse gas like methane that we'll probably want to learn how to remove as well. And then you'll also hear NETS or negative emissions technologies. And these are just different modes of doing carbon dioxide removal. So those are that's our sort of alphabet soup that we, we use in our CDR world.
1: You know, um, fun fact, many years ago, actually more than 20 years ago, I worked on Everglades legislation with um, then Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and he did not allow his staff to use any acronyms in his memos. <laughs> so I appreciate it when someone goes through their own alphabet suit, because every industry and every subgenre of an industry has their own. Um, now, I'm going to guess that most of our listeners are familiar, at least in passing, with current um, carbon capture and sequestration. And I know that is what I'm more familiar with. So what would be what would lead one to decide to go the CCS route versus the CDR route? Yeah,
2: I don't think there's really a, 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 a sort of a versus. Um, so just starting with CDR, the reason why Open Air, the group that I helped found and spent a lot of time uh, working for, uh, why we focus on CDR is because the science is pretty clear. It's actually very clear that the the ship has already really kind of sailed on our ability to maintain uh one point five degrees c or even two degree change without taking carbon out of the atmosphere, so that's independent of however successful we are, how rapidly we're able to decarbonize or reduce emissions uh it's just we we've, we've gone too we waited too long, so we we have to do that now, and then there's certain sectors. Uh, that are really, as we call, difficult to abate. Uh, that they're not going away. They're core parts of our economy. They're core parts of our civilization, and it's going to take a while to actually decarbonize them. So these are things like aviation, steel production, cement production, uh, production, and there are other sources as well that those emissions are going to keep going up in the air. So we're going to need to take those, uh, take those, you know, out of the air. Um, so those are the main reasons why it's to you know, is just to be able to keep within a safe temperature range. We have to remove gigatons, billions of tons of carbon from the atmosphere by the middle of this century, and then considerably more by the end of it. Um, And then I guess there's sort of one last thing we could say, which is more of a kind of an aspirational long-term vision, but we're already operating in sort of a dangerous territory in terms of the amount of carbon we have in the air that's already baking in, uh, already damaging forms of carbon removal. So or, or rather, of of, uh, of climate change. So, if we get good, and if we get cheap, and we get effective at taking carbon out of the atmosphere, we could look at restoring the climate. Can we actually go negative and reduce more carbon dioxide uh, from the air, get, getting us down more to uh, levels that were, you know, pre-industrial even?
1: So, if I can just illustrate, then let's say you are a um, coal-fired power plant with um, carbon capture and storage capacity, you would capture the emissions before they actually are released and store them or find some use for them. Whereas with CDR, the ship's already sailed, I think you said. So you're taking something that's already out there and then finding a use for it or finding a way to to capture it. And then you're going to use it, right? You use your car- yeah, the carbon.
2: Exactly. Well, there's different ways of doing it. And this is where CCS, carbon capture and sequestration, certain forms of carbon dioxide rule do overlap on where do you put the carbon, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're capturing it out of a smokestack or you're taking it out of the air, we need to think of what to do with that. So often we hear about geological sequestration that's taking the CO2, putting it in saline aquifers and basalt and other geological formations where it will stay. And so that's shared infrastructure uh, that both CCS and technologies like direct air capture, which are machines, DAC, that are purpose-built to take carbon out of the air. Um, the other thing that you hear often, another yet another acronym, is CCUS, so carbon capture utilization and or storage. So mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things we can do with carbon that have a climate benefit, right? You can make non-fossil hydrocarbons uh, if you combine it with, with hydrogen, Um You can actually put it in a lot of durable products like concrete is one that open air is really, really focused on because we make so much of it. And now new technologies allow us to cure or inject or use carbon based materials in concrete where it will stay forever, just like geologically. Um, And there are other things, plastics and many different things that once we start thinking about carbon dioxide as a resource, can industry, can markets really activate to start using it actually Um, in ways that will take it out of the air or displace other emissions that would otherwise be the case.
1: So who is doing this? Well,
2: there's a lot of different, the thing that we really try to emphasize even more so than with renewables, which has a pretty diverse portfolio of options that we know about that are mature and those that are still, you know, on the horizon, there's what we call the carbon dioxide removal spectrum or the CDR spectrum. And these are, there's literally you know, a dozen different main categories and then subcategories. So these can range from things that sometimes are called land use based or nature based. Uh, And these are things that we all know take carbon out of the air, afforestation, reforestation, forms of agriculture that build up carbon in the soil, which has many benefits, but also takes carbon out of the air. Uh, And then you can move more into the sort of hybrid engineered forms of carbon dioxide removal that might use photosynthesis, they might use natural carbon uh, cycles, but they also, uh, there's engineering involved that makes it more durable and permanent. So those would be things like biochar, uh, which you can make from bio-waste, it can be applied to soils, it could be used for many things. Bio-oil creation, which is really, really interesting. Companies like Charm Industrial, it's almost like the inversion of, of oil drilling, is that they mm-hmm. actually take carbon uh uh agricultural waste they produce a, a a form of carbon dense bio oil from that, and then they inject it in depleted oil wells and other um types of uh, uh infrastructure that are subterranean where it turns into a viscous uh almost like a solid and it stays so it's almost like reverse oil uh oil drilling and then you get into things like mineralization so there's certain types of rocks out there that we call ultramafic rocks or minerals that naturally like to bond with carbon. And under certain conditions, you can actually engineer that or accelerate it. So that's really exciting. That can be hooked in with things like mine tailings, Uh, can be used in agriculture where you apply these rocks to soil and that inorganically bonds with carbon. Then there's a whole host of things called ocean carbon dioxide removal where we can use the ocean, both in an engineered and through biological ways uh, to fix, sink, uh, and remove carbon. And that, that can ha- also have other benefits like deacidifying the ocean, which is a huge problem of why we're losing a lot of our ecosystems in the ocean. And then there's the real things like direct air capture, which are just they're purpose built machines that chemically bond, uh, with take carbon out of the air, uh, through air columns move through them. And they're able to absorb that. And they use a variety of different, uh, technologies that that's really expanded enormously in the last, uh, few years, but that's a really, really fast and essential space.
1: One thing that is really intriguing to me about this um, practice is I had read that even if we stopped emitting carbon dioxide today, obviously there are some climate impacts that are already baked. We aren't going to immediately tomorrow see climate change solved, right? There's the warming that will continue to happen because of, um, as you mentioned earlier, we all have this surplus of carbon in the atmosphere. So to me, this really gets hand in hand um, with things like, you know, pricing carbon and so forth, policy mechanisms that could really together holistically solve the problem. Just stopping carbon emissions isn't enough. We need to have some way to also undo what we've done in the past.
2: Yeah, we we look at sort of as three legs that don't, they're not fungible. They don't substitute for each other. They're just three things that we now have to do if you're rooting uh, your strategy and what we know with with the science. And that is obviously mitigation or decarbonization, just stop emitting more. And that's, you know, renewable energy, electric vehicles, some carbon capture and sequestration for certain industries. Then there's adaptation. So just getting better at adjusting to the realities of climate change that are already upon us and are gonna get worse no matter what we do right now. So we have to figure out ways to basically uh, harden uh, our, our communities and our infrastructure to be more resistant to that. And then the third one is 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 removal. Um, That's the third part of the the stool that we just we we have to do in addition to those other things, and we have to get started really right now, yesterday, because as we know from renewables, it takes a long time to get these things market ready, proved out, to scale where they can actually play the role that they need to. We're at the very earliest stages right now. We need to make an industry that's basically the same size as oil and gas take carbon out of the air.
1: You need to disrupt the market, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. And I think some of the policies I know that you, that your group is really supportive of, like uh, a carbon tax and dividend border adjustments, yeah. uh, they create a real strong market signal that you'll, you'll see a lot more of this and carbon removal fits right into those. Types well, of and things.
1: that's what I was going to ask ne- next is, are there areas in the world where you're seeing where there are these policies in place, like a carbon border adjustment or uh, cap on emissions, where you're seeing um kind of a bigger market share, I guess, for CDR?
2: Well, I think any of those policies, which are pretty broad in terms of what they would affect, that's one of the real virtues of those types of policies. They create a general market signal that would incentivize you know, uh, renewables uh, and certainly carbon dioxide removal as well. And we're starting to see more specific carbon dioxide removal policies happening here in the United States with the current administration, multiple pieces of legislation that have been introduced at the state level. States have a huge role to play, as do municipalities. Maybe we can talk about that. And then in Europe as well, we're seeing a lot more both at the EU level and on the member state level. We're talking about negative emissions, uh, when we talk about net zero, that a certain part of that is going to have to be removals, coming up with the standards for that. Those are all starting to happen. And there's many different types of policies categorically that you could say fall under that more general umbrella.
0: We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at RepublicEN.org. Now back to this week's episode.
1: So Open Air is a volunteer driven collective of folks that support CDR is it regular people like you and me or is it companies like who who is part of open air
2: it's anybody who shows up and, and what we started with open air we, we don't even have a, a formal organizational status we're, we're not a nonprofit we really took our model from the open source world which many people will know started with software but has touched on many different areas of the economy over the last 20 years. And that's really capitalizing on the ability that the internet really gives us, uh, which is that people can connect uh, from all over the place around common interests and then contribute to do work in ways often that organizations or firms or other formal entities won't be as fast to do. So when Open Air started, we said, well, let's create basically an open source network where people who are really interested in carbon dioxide removal and wanted to get going they wanted to start projects to actually make an impact whether writing legislation and getting it introduced or making things we have a lot of makers and citizen scientists and engineers working on projects they could all join find each other and then start to really advance this and spread their work and so now we're over a thousand members on uh you know every continent where people live and um we have groups that have formed what we call missions. Uh, we're up to about 25 of them all, all over the world, getting on Zooms, working and moving things forward. Um, like so a matchmaking
1: we, service. <laughs>
2: it's not only a matchmaking. We do the wedding. We have the kids. We do the whole, <laughs> the whole cycle of a relationship. But to your point, we believe that the environment is too important to be left to environmentalists, uh, or, mm-hmm. or the climate is and that. <laughs> There's huge benefits of when you bring together people from very diverse backgrounds, their skills, where they are ideologically, and they start to work on projects, you can come up with the most creative solutions. So it's an asset when people come in and they don't have a long track record or experience working environmental activism. We want it to tap into that much larger population of people that want to do something and they want to contribute to things in very specific, practical ways. So anybody is welcome.
1: Well, environmental activism hasn't actually worked. <laughs> and as um, as you and I, I believe, um, discussed a little bit um, when we were prepping for this conversation, it has, you know, right now we're so polarized that people have a negative reaction if they hear somebody identify as an environmentalist and And I think there's a perception that that means you support a certain suite of policies. But really what you're talking about is innovation. And I think we need the environmental activists, right? But we also need the innovators and we need the innovators more. (laughs) We need them faster and we need them smarter and and thinking different. And and that's what really gets me excited is that, um, you know, if you look at the past 50 years of history on people at the uh, US government level anyway, looking at the issue of climate change, to me, this sounds like the idea that has the most potential, just in terms of having a real impact, um, not just on what the mistakes we've made in the past, you know, pricing carbon would be great, I would be happy to have a a price on carbon today, as as listeners know, Um, that doesn't, change what we have done before, you know, up to this point. And so I like this idea of just being able to um, uh, atone for our mistakes, so to speak, and um, do it in a way that has um, additional benefits as well. We had a, a webinar last year with um, an ag agro economist on who talked about biochar and Um, you know, we see there are a lot of great different ag applications and agriculture is one of those industries that is really impacted by climate change. So it feels like a win-win. We solve climate change, but we also help improve an industry um, for that specific application anyway.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that, That's the thing about CDR. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It it links with particular places and sectors and agriculture being a huge one. There's many different forms of CDR pathways that run through agriculture that make agriculture more effective while also taking carbon out of the air. Um, But to the activism point, one thing I want to sort of characterize, I guess, in terms of how open air works is we have a form of activism that is a we sometimes call it activist business development. So the idea is is that we realize innovators in a marketplace are the ones that are going to solve the problem, but they're not going to do it alone. So if they can have support from uh, groups of activists that not only are creating conducive policies for pathways, but are directly helping projects happen. So sometimes our members contribute where they know how to write a business plan or they know how to write grants, or they can, um, you know, uh, try to put together a public field trip so that different forms of CDR can get exposure for the press and members of the community. So we're all about supporting innovation. We're not a protest organization, which is often what, what environmentalism is sort of associated with. We're sort of, a. uh, a creation sort of movement, uh, you know, like to try to help make things happen rather than stopping things from happen.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and that can, you know, again, make use of all kinds of different people based on their interests, their skills, and their their willingness to contribute.
1: You're the doers.
2: We are the doers. We're a duocracy is the word sometimes that gets talked about within an open source. And that's really the way we function. Um, you know, it's a very diverse group of people that come in they form their groups as long as they care about carbon removal and climate we don't talk about much else uh, that's the, that's your ticket in and if that's what you're working on then you you have a home in open air
1: so if there are any listeners that are interested and maybe have one of these skills to contribute how can they get involved with open air
2: yeah so hopefully we include in the show notes just the the join form that we have on our website mm-hmm. uh, openaircollective.cc uh, there's also a page there, which is our missions page, which kind of displays a high level overview of the different projects that people are working on in the community and that uh, anybody can come in and join if they're interested. So we recommend people joining us. And that means coming into, we have a Discord server, which is kind of like Slack. It's a, like a chat platform where-
1: I know about Discord because I have teenage boys. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I, I have some some tweens myself, uh, so so you can come in and we'll we'll show you around. Uh, and then if you look at the uh, the mission page, you can kind of get a sense, oh, that looks interesting. It's a biochar project or that's a DAC project or this is legislative. And then once you come in, our members will actually show you around and you can, you know, be a fly on the wall for a mission meetup, which happen every week for different missions, uh, or, you know, we can make connections to other people in the community that you can, you know, get to know and then see where it goes from there. Um, But those are the best ways. Join our Discord and take a look at our missions page.
1: You guys ever need writers? I think I need to join one of these groups. (laughs) We
2: we, we absolutely. Right now, I think a big thing we're trying to do is become much more active with our blog and creating thought pieces and doing citizen investigative journalism. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of storytelling and, and, you know, facts that really have to be um, you know, elevated, uh, I think in order for CDR to work. And so uh, we can always use writers. We can use, we can use anybody. Uh, we can figure out a way, uh, what do you know how to do and how can we apply what you know how to do to what needs to get done is really yeah. our, our method.
1: Well, listeners, maybe you'll see me on Discord then because I am a storyteller, and I'm gonna check it out myself and I'm really excited by these prospects you know today, on the day of recording, I was feeling a little down, you know eighth uh or what what was the news that the eight warmest years in history have all been the last eight years or something really terrible and then you know the good news that I read today, but I thought it was good until my eighteen year old um rolled his eyes but that the you know Montreal Protocol, which listeners have heard me talk about before, which phased out the use of CFCs to um, repair the thinning of the ozone layer, that today they have declared that in four decades, we will have succeeded in uh, repairing the ozone. And course my kid was like 40 years we could all be dead by then It's like, oh, that is not the point i was supposed to be happy with that news so hopefully it won't take us 40 years to get all the carbon out of the atmosphere and you know i think the best way to um turn things around when you're feeling a little despondent is to be active and to get involved in the things you care about so listeners i um definitely encourage you to check out open air collective and we will drop all those links in our show notes and chris i thank you for your vision and your organization and everything that you're doing to make the world a better place
2: yeah and we would love to have more members of the republican community join us it's available for everyone and uh hopefully we'll see some of your listeners uh coming into our discord uh, to get shown around and get active
1: and i want a personal tour (laughs) we'll get one Well, Bryce, I have to say that I feel really good knowing that people out there are thinking about how we remove carbon from the atmosphere, because let's be honest, it's hard enough. You know, we obviously have a lot to do to prevent the carbon from being released in the atmosphere, but we've already emitted a lot. So we've got to figure out a way to get it out.
3: Yeah, and my kids were asking me about this Kind of sort of exact thing the other morning going to school. I believe it was one morning last week when they were like, well dad, how do you get the carbon out of the atmosphere? How do you stop it, you know, from, from going into the atmosphere? And so we had a, uh, we had a, not a deep discussion, but they're 10 and 12. So we had a little talk about capitalism and companies, you know, that are trying to innovate and come up with uh, ways to do this and to make money on it. My daughter says, who's 10, she said, yeah, dad, making money in capitalism is good. I said, you're exactly right, baby. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're starting to kind of talk about some of these things and, you know, just, Um, really kind of more to the heart of STEM, you know, science, technology, that kind of stuff, because, you know, it's so important, you know, at the grade school level and and on through because we need more scientists. We need more people to innovate, to come up with ways, you know, to, uh, you know, to do this stuff. So, yeah, it was uh, quite a timely interview.
1: I couldn't agree more. My younger son, Colin, graduated from a STEM high school or STEM program at his high school. and uh, while he is not going to go into the sciences, he um, you know, just seeing how many kids his age are passionate about these issues. and I know so many kids in that generation that want to study environmental science or you know, sustainability and so, you know, at that age, like, I don't even think I knew what the word sustainability meant when mm-hmm. I was 18 or 19. You no, know, we just didn't talk about it that way. Obviously, I knew what the word meant, but like it didn't have the same context as it does today. Mm-hmm. So it's just good to see that um, kids are going to be like prepared for the careers that we need in the future.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Before we go any further, let's shout out some new members. Uh, Ken W. in California, where you are soaking up the sun today and what the rest of the week. (laughs) Rita L. in Louisiana, Dolores B. in Ohio, Mary Jane M. in Maryland, and Darren D. in Illinois. Man, we got the whole map covered from north, south, east, west, and places in between. Thanks to everybody for signing up, which you can do at Republican.org forward slash join Power and numbers, and we need you to stand with us, especially if you are a conservative or know uh, a conservative who is eco-right, just like us, Chelsea,
1: That's right, and um, it is always kind of funny to see how the new members pop up. Like, sometimes they all come from, from one region, and I think, okay, well, they all must have really resonated with that guest or Bob must have had an event there and then sometimes they're kind of from all over the place and so however you found us we're glad you're here and we hope you keep listening keep reading and um keep joining in with us 100%.
3: And a shout out to our colleague, Angela Lark, who randomly pulls a handful of uh, new members to send us every week and to read off and share with you all, our listeners. So thank you, Angela, for doing that and sending it to us every week. Another little element and piece of the podcast that we uh, come prepared with each week. Um, Chelsea, what do we got coming up next week?
1: Next week, we are talking to John Webster, who is a um, biochar expert. So um, biochar is a way of sequestering carbons. So it's kind of in theme with what we were just talking about with Chris. And this is um, an application that the agriculture industry in particular will use. So I'm um, excited to have that conversation.
3: Excited to have John Webster and excited for you to continue soaking up the sun on your trip out west. Have a great time, Chelsea. Don't work hard while you're there, please.
1: Oh, I'm here to work hard, Price. i got (laughs) to finish up this book. So, (laughs) But, yes, looking forward to being back in the same time zone as you next week.
3: We will talk to you next week. In the meantime, hope you and hope all our listeners have a great week. We will talk to you then.
1: Bye, listeners.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.